My kids have a nickname for me. They, uh, they call me the bridge too far dad. And that's because I have a tendency to push myself, to push my family just a little bit further than we ought to be pushed sometimes. And this, uh, you know, this tendency on my part especially showed up during family vacations as my kids were being raised. So we would go, for example, to the Rocky Mountains, and we'd be hiking around, and I always wanted to see one more mountain lake, you know, one more waterfall, like get just one more mile on the trail. Or we would go to Disney World or some theme park, and I was the one, you know, one more roller coaster, come on. You know, or we'd be at the nation's capital sightseeing, Washington, D.C., and it'd be one, one more monument, one more museum. And in fact, the last time that we went on a family trip to Washington, D.C., this is exactly what happened. We went to monument after museum after monument after museum, and my, my kids were waiting for the sun to set because they thought, you know, when the sun sets, you can't do this anymore. We get to go back to the hotel and go swimming in the indoor pool. But what they didn't know is that there are lights on the monuments, Right? So the sun goes down, and, they're, and I'm saying, hey, one more monument. And that's when they rebelled. They totally mutinied on me. Uh, one of them, I can't remember which one, or I'd take him out of the inheritance right now. They, they said, oh, form a giant X. See, they learned in grade school that if you're about to be abducted by a kidnapper, you form an X and you can't get dragged into the car. And so all of my kids assume X position. <laughs> Sue assumes X position. Yeah, the traitor. But, but I got the message. The message was, stop already. You know, say no. No, no more. Not a mas. Uh, we're beginning a three-part series today called Limits That Liberate. Saying no to live yes. Saying no to live yes. We're going to learn in the course of the series how to say no. I think you can do it. In fact, we're going to practice right at the beginning. Okay, on the count of three. Whatever campus you're on, I want you to bellow out a loud no. Here we go. One, two, three. No! Yeah. I heard some of you rebels say yes. <laughs> but we're going to change your, your yes into a no so that you can get to yes in the course of this series. When I say say no, what are we talking about saying no to? Well, today it's going to be say no to busyness. Next weekend it's going to be say no to noise. The weekend after that, it's going to be say no to accumulation. It's going to be no, no, no. But I want you to know up front, this is not a series about no. This is a series about yes. It's just that you can't get to yes unless you're willing to say no. You get it? Good. So I want you to turn with me in your Bible. Hope you brought a Bible. Make 2014 the year when you get yourself a Bible. If you don't have one, get it on your phone if you want or on your pad. But bring it with you because we mark it up as we study it together. So get out your Bible if you brought one and get out the notes so you could fill it in. This is really a, a practical sort of message. So you're going to want to jot down some things you think God wants you to do. All right, so say no to busyness. I've read an editorial in the New York Times recently. The author of the editorial said, uh, we live in a culture, American culture is addicted to busyness. And as part of the evidence for that statement, he said, just think about how we greet each other these days. Someone says to you, hey, how you doing? What do you say? How often do you say busy? Okay. How are you doing? Busy. Or if you want to heighten it a little bit, you might say, really busy. Or you want to make it super intense, you say, crazy busy. Okay, we're, we're, we're crazy busy these days. So we need the truth of what we're going to discover in Exodus chapter 20. 
Exodus 20 is where we're going to begin. This ought to be a familiar chapter in our Bibles because this is where you find the Ten Commandments. And we're going to be taking a look at commandment number four, which has to do with setting limits on our work, on our busyness. Now, as we look at it, I want you to keep that in mind. I want you to keep in mind, this is a commandment. I mean, this, is, this is not a suggestion. This is not a recommendation. This is not a wee bit of advice from Almighty God. Saying no to busyness is a commandment. Okay, so let's begin at verse 8 of Exodus chapter 20. You could follow along in your Bible as I read. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or your daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." Now, one of the reasons I encourage you to bring your own Bible is because we do mark them up as we go, and there's, there's a word I want you to circle. It pops up twice. It's the word holy. You'll find it at the end of verse 8 and at the end of verse 11. You want to circle that. What does holy mean? Well, holy means to be separate. It, it, what it literally means is to be set apart, okay, to be, to be special, if you would. God says in commandment number four, one day out of seven needs to be different from the other six. Okay, so, so if you're crazy busy 24-7, you're disobeying commandment number four. Because God's pattern is, is 24-6, not 24-7. The seventh day is to be different. Now, just let me give you a little historical perspective here. When this commandment was first given to God's Old Testament people, uh, they were on their way from Egypt where they had been slaves for over 400 years to the Promised Land. This was the beginning of the journey. Every day was the same. They're traveling through the desert from Egypt to the Promised Land. Every day looked the same. You got up in the morning, you shook the scorpions out of your sandals, you, you packed up your tent, you loaded up your camel, you traveled mile after mile after mile after mile through the desert till you were ready to drop. You stopped at the end of the day, you repitched your tent, you ate some food. It was manna and quail and manna and quail and manna and quail and manna and quail. You went to bed, and guess what you did the next morning? You got up, you shook the scorpions out of your sandals, you packed up your tent, you looked at the whole thing. Day after day after day after day. And God said, no, we can't do that. One day a week has got to be different. One day a week can't look like the rest. You know, the Jewish rabbis say that this uh, commandment, fourth commandment, is actually a gift they say that if you keep the Sabbath, the Sabbath will keep you. Well, what do you mean it'll keep you? It'll keep you from being overwhelmed by the monotony of relentless, too busy days. So that's what we're going to look at. We're one day a week that's got to be different from the rest, four aspects of that day. This is what I want you to jot down. This is how that one day is going to look different. Okay, number one needs to be a day for refreshment. Now go back to the text, Exodus 20, look at verse 11. It says that for six days God worked at making things, okay? Six days he created the heavens, the earth, the sea, everything in them, but on the seventh day he rested. Why? That's a good question to ask. Why do you think God rested on the seventh day? 
Let me give this to you as a multiple choice, okay? Did God rest on the seventh day because, A, he was tired and needed to recharge his batteries? Did God rest on the seventh day because, B, he wanted to watch football? Or was it, C, he wanted to set an example for you and me? What do you think? Yeah, don't you even go near B, all right? It's C, God wanted to set an example for the rest of us. I want, you, I want you to keep that in mind. God didn't need rest, but he knew we would. So he set an example for us. On the seventh day, he stopped working. And just so we wouldn't miss his point, God called the seventh day Sabbath, which is the Hebrew word for stop, which is another good word to circle. If you've got your own Bible in front of you, in the verses I just read to you, you'll see Sabbath three times. See if you can find them. Circle each one and then put in the margin of your Bible, stop, stop, stop. Stop what? Stop working. Stop being crazy busy one day a week. Why? Well, for the sake of rest, for the sake of, of refreshment. Some time ago, Working Mother Magazine, there is such a, a magazine, Working Mother Magazine, uh, did a poll. They found that 95% of their female readers said that when they got to Friday, working moms, when they got to Friday, they were looking forward to the weekend as a time of rest. Interestingly, 50, 52% of those same women said that they were more exhausted when they went back to work on Monday morning than when they left work on Friday afternoon. So why? Well, because they, they left work and they went home, and what do you think they did at home? They worked. Okay, non-stop work. I'm told that in Swahili, the word for white man is mayunga, and that the literal translation of mayunga is one who spins around. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? The picture that the East African has of the, you know, the typical Westerner is this individual who's constantly in motion, this whirling dervish, constant, constant motion, dizzying oneself with busyness. And so commandment number four says, stop it. Okay, stop. One day a week, stop working. One day a week, catch your breath. One day a week, get refreshed. And that's why Jesus, you know, at Jesus' day, there was a growing list of things that were prohibited on the Sabbath. You know, there was no plowing, no baking, no hunting, no weaving, building, transporting. You know, the, the list got to be long. It got to be, to be frank, it got to be a bit legalistic. But, but the original intent was we got to protect a day a week so that that day stays free for refreshment. Now, how do we put commandment number four into practice today? Well, we got to carve out a 24-hour period every week in which we take, during which we take a break from work. We take a break from busyness. Now, that leads to a follow-up question. So what constitutes work? Well, let me suggest three kinds of work to you that I think we need to avoid one day a week. Now, you may not agree with the application, but you're, you're going to have to bang this out for yourself. Here, here's my recommend. I think, first of all, we got to take a, a break from vocational work. Taking a break from vocational work means on this special day, no calling customers, no seeing patients, no doing paperwork, no visiting job sites, no returning business emails. Stop. And if you're a student, if you're a middle school or you're a high school, you're a college-age student, what, what's your job? Your job right now is studying one day a week, no homework. Now, now some of you never do homework, okay? So, 
That's not what I'm saying. Don't misunderstand me here. What, what I'm saying is that if you're particularly industrious, you know, you get your work done as a student in six days so that a seventh day, you don't need to be writing papers. You don't need to be studying for an exam. You're set. One day a week is free of vocational work. Second, household work. You know, so you say no to laundry, gardening, grocery shopping, redecorating, car maintenance, bill paying. You, you stop. You take a break from household work. Now, let me throw in a qualifier here. I suppose if something doesn't feel like it's work to you, then go ahead and do it on the Sabbath. So I'll, I'll give you an example. Let's say mowing the lawn. Let's say it's something that you enjoy doing. Okay, you, you like being outdoors, you like the exercise of pushing a mower around, you like the freedom and hours worth of your mind at ease, and you can think about whatever you want to think about, and you come away refreshed and mow the lawn on the Sabbath. However, for some of you, mowing the lawn is a mission. And you know who you are if I'm talking about you. You know, you're one of those people that this week you, you mow it diagonally, and next week you mow it this week. Yeah, yeah. You rake it all up, and you weed whack, and you fertilize it, and you go around spraying weeds. It's a mission. It's work. And I say, say no. One day a week, say no. Okay, so say no to vocational work. Say, say no to household work. Third, say no to family responsibilities work. You know, Sue and I were talking one day. I don't even know how this topic came up. But we were reliving the days when our kids were younger and we threw family birthday parties on Sundays. And we said, oh, we would never do that again. <laughs> yes, it's too bad that you figure these things out after your kids are grown. But the, the fact of the matter was, those family birthdays on Sunday were exhausting. It wasn't a day of rest. It was a tool of the devil. Okay, that's hyperbole, okay? You're with me? Exaggeration to make a point. Okay, don't quote me. You know, listen, if something refreshes you, you, you do it. But if it's work one day a week, you say, I'm not going to go there. So take another family responsibility. Your, your kid's in soccer, and they have Sunday afternoon games. I say Sunday afternoon. You'll understand why in a few moments. But if those Sunday afternoon games refresh you as a mom, as a dad, if you could go and sit on the sidelines in a, you know, a lawn chair, sipping a cola, chatting it up with other parents, and you walk away saying, wow, that felt good, then do it. However, if, if playing on Sunday means they're in one of these traveling weeks where you have to drive to Detroit and back that afternoon, you know, or you have to cut up two bushels of oranges because you're the person supplying the treats, or they guilt-tripped you into being assistant coach and it's like work, then say no. Say to your kids, you know, I don't think we're going to do this. It's okay. Why? Because we need a day of refreshment. You know, the, the, the Chinese have an interesting pictograph for busyness. Two characters join together to form this word picture. The first character represents the heart. The second character represents killing. And you put them together and you get this pictograph for busyness. Killing the heart. Killing the heart. We need a once a week break from work. We need a Sabbath. We, we need to say no so that we can enjoy a day of refreshment. You with me? Now you could say, yeah, I'm with you, Jim. You with me? Yeah, good. Cool. In Orthodox Jewish families, all work comes to a halt on the Sabbath day, and the end of the day is celebrated with a glass of sweet wine. 
why a glass of sweet wine? Just a symbolic way of saying, wasn't it sweet to take a break? Wasn't this refreshing? And then after the wine is sipped, they pass around a box of aromatic spices, and everyone's required to take a deep whiff. Because this is the aroma, this is the joy, this is the peace, the sense of tranquility that you want to carry with you into the week. I I think that smells good to me. (laughs) Okay, number two, this is to be a day for worship. Okay, a day for refreshment, number one, a day of worship. Number two, go back to the fourth commandment in Exodus 20 for just a moment. Look at verse 10 again. I want you to note one particular phrase here. It says, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You see that, verse 10? To the Lord your God. In other words, the Sabbath day is to revolve around God. The the reason we take a break from work and busyness is is not simply so that we can play 18 holes of golf or shop at the outlet mall, or read the newspaper, or go, go to Great America with the fam, or watch football. The Sabbath day is primarily for rekindling our relationship with God. It's for spending focused time with God. Now, I want to I take you to another passage. We're going to look at four passages that deal with the Sabbath, all very critical text. This one's in the middle of your Bible, the book of Isaiah. So turn over to Isaiah. You'll find it just beyond the Psalms and Proverbs, a couple of short books. Then Isaiah's pretty long, so you shouldn't have any trouble finding it. Turn to Isaiah 58. Isaiah chapter 58, and I want to read two verses from Isaiah about the Sabbath. This is God speaking. God speaking through the prophet. Verse 13, Isaiah 58, 13. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, If you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way, not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. Okay, the Sabbath is a day for finding your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken." Now, I've, I've used this anecdote before, but bear with me because it's, you know, it illustrates the point I want to make here. Uh, there was a, a time management guru, consultant, who was uh, giving a seminar, a lecture. And so he began, big audience in front of him, he had a table, and on the table was a, a five-gallon plastic jug. And he took some rocks that were on the table next to the jug, and he, he filled it up till it was right at the top of the, uh, of the, of the jar, and he said, now, how many of you think that this is full? And everybody said, oh, yeah, yeah, it's full. And he said, well, no, it's not. And he grabbed a bag, and the bag was full of gravel. And he shoveled some gravel from the bag into the jug, and it trickled down between the big rocks. And he said, okay, now how many of you think my jug is full? And they're a little more wary, and so they say, well, kind of. He says, well, no, not yet. And he reaches to another bag, and it's a bag of sand. And he pours it over the top, and it trickles between the gravel until it comes right to the top. And he says, how many of you think the jug is full now? Well, they've caught on by this time. So they all say, no, no, it's that. He goes, you're right, it's not. And he takes a pitcher of water, and he pours water in until it fills up to the very top of the jug. And he announces, now the jug is full. But what did I just teach you? And somebody calls out from the audience, No matter how busy our schedule, we could always fit in something more. (laughs) He said, wrong. Here's the lesson of the plastic jug. 
If you don't put the big rocks in first, you'll never get them in. If you don't put the big rocks in first, you'll never get them in. Friends, there is no bigger rock in our lives than our relationship with God. So if we don't set aside one day a week for focusing on God, and if we don't protect that time with God from all encroachments, then God's not going to play a central role in our lives the rest of the week. What sorts of activities will make a Sabbath day God's special day? Well, I think one of those activities is what you're doing right now. You know, I think it's pretty basic, but you make sure that you get to a, a service of corporate worship. You know, whether that's on a Saturday night at our, our, our campuses, a 5 o'clock service, or a, a Sunday 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock, you're, you're here to worship God. You're here to hear God's Word taught because this is God's day. Another activity that, that comes to my mind is, you know, some simple Bible reading. Most of us, even if we're following the Bible reading schedule, which I, I hope you follow, and read the Bible daily, for many of us, it's a clip time. You know, it's 15 minutes before we race out the door to work or to school, or whatever. But on the weekend, on the Sabbath day, we've got a little more time. Maybe we could spend 30 minutes in God's Word with Him. It's a great day for reading a Christian book that will enhance your relationship with God. I read a lot of stuff. I read news magazines. I read professional journals. I read uh, theology textbooks. I read leadership books. I read detective mysteries. I read, you know, but come, come Sunday, my Sabbath, I try to make it a day when most of my reading revolves around stuff that will enhance my relationship with God. This is God's day. Being in a community group, men's group, women's group, couples group, Sabbath is a great day to do something like that. Finding some way to serve God in the context of our services. Doing something special for God. Being with third graders in kids' world. You know, because you love God and you want to impart this love for God to kids. Or standing at one of our doors as an usher, as a greeter, and welcoming people into the house of God as they come for worship. You know, just ways to make this special. Don't let God get crowded out of your Sabbath day. This is God's day. Put God first. Teach your kids to put God first. You know, just a word to moms and dads here, okay? If, you know, if we allow our kids to skip church, this time of corporate worship, because of a traveling sports game, or because they were at a sleepover the night before and too tired to come, or because they got a big project that's due on Monday morning, they got to give their attention to that. If we allow them to skip this corporate time of worship, what have we just taught them? We, we've taught them that there are bigger rocks than God. You know, if we want the biggest rock in our kids' lives to be God, then we've got to teach them to put God first on their schedule and let nothing bump them off. See, because if something bumps God off the schedule, then whatever that something is, is now the biggest rock. And that's, that's what God is. God's the biggest rock in the jug. You know, moms and dads, I just want to acknowledge to you, this is really hard stuff to do, but it's worth it. You know, when, when my son was growing up, he loved to play soccer. He still does. He's, he's 25 years old now. He just got married this fall. He lives in the city. He called me this past week and said, hey, I just signed up for an indoor soccer league here in the city. So he loves playing soccer, but while, while he was growing up, we would occasionally get them in a, in a league that had Sunday games. Cool with us, 
But we would always say to the coach ahead of time, now you need to understand something. You know, God's like the biggest rock in our lives. And for uh, one day a week, we set aside time to worship God. Now, if we could work soccer around that, Andrew will be here for the games. But if there's ever a game that makes it impossible to, to be at the game and to worship God, like make it to either a, Friday, uh, a Saturday night service or an early Sunday morning service, then we're not going to be here for the soccer game because God's a bigger rock than soccer. And, of course, the coach would say, oh, that's fine until tournament time. <laughs> you know, then you come to the end of the season and it's a tournament and the stakes are high and Andrew was a really good player and his team depended upon him. And now we're saying, oh, we can't make that game. And I know some of you are thinking right now, well, so you let the team down? Yeah, because the choice was letting the team down or letting God down. And God said this one day a week is for him. It's his special day. It's a day when he's to be exalted in our lives. We're to celebrate the fact that, that, that he's number one. And so as much as we were concerned about letting the team down, we, we didn't want to let God down. We, we don't have any qualms with playing soccer on God's day. Go and do it. As long as our kids understood, you know, soccer's a distant second. God's number one. God's our big rock. Nothing else comes close. And that's why God gets his own special day once a week in our lives. He gets a day for worship. You know, i got to tell you again in Jewish families how the, the Sabbath is celebrated. At the beginning of the Sabbath, they'll light two candles, two separate candles. Distance between them, symbolic of the fact that when you start the Sabbath, you feel a bit distant from God. You, you, you've lost a sense of his presence because of the hubbub, the busyness, all the activities of the week. But come the end of the Sabbath day, after you've spent a day in worship, focusing on God... Another candle is lit. This is a braided candle, symbolic of the fact that you now feel connected. You feel intertwined with God. You feel close again. i got to tell you something. It may sound negative to you that, that I pray for you. I can't believe I'm admitting this here. But you know, on, on Monday mornings, I, I always pray for our church. I pray for the impact of the weekend services at, at our four campuses. I pray that those of you who have been here heard God's word taught. He would help you apply whatever you learned to your lives. I pray that the worship that you experienced would be refreshing you. I pray that your kids would have a deep sense that God loves them, having been in kids' world and whatever. But here's what I pray for those of you who played hooky and skipped. I'm admitting this. I pray God... Give them a real sense of dissonance in their lives now. Like as they start their week, may they, may they be saying, oh crud, I can't believe I skipped church because I'm moving into a busy week with no sense of God's presence. Now, I said this last service and somebody came up to me afterwards and said, you mean like I'm going to have a car accident during the week? And I said, no, no, I'm not. I don't pray that you're going to have a car accident during the week. Or any, you understand what I'm saying here? What I, understand, what I hope you understand is that my prayer for you is that when you miss out on something that God intends to draw you close to him, that you sense, I'm not close and I wish I were. And good things are going to happen and bad things are going to happen in the course of the week. And my prayer for you is that you'll be here on a regular basis so you walk into a week ready to face it in the presence of Almighty God. You get it? Good. Good. And, and you still love me for praying that prayer? I told this dad, too, he said, Dad, he said, you know, I couldn't pray something like that for my kids. I said, I pray it for my kids all the time. I pray that when they walk away from God, they feel like, wow, this sucks. Can I say that? I'm sorry. 
<laughs> Scratch that from the tape. <laughs> Number three. <laughs> Wasn't in my notes, friends. Okay. Uh, Number three, it's to be, okay, a day for refreshment. It's to be a day for worship. Number three, it's to be a day for dependence. I'm going to take you to another Sabbath text, okay? You're going to get an idea. This is really important to God to talk about it so much in his word. Turn to Deuteronomy, fifth book of your Old Testament. Another long book, so you should have no trouble finding Deuteronomy chapter 5. And by the way, while you're looking for Deuteronomy, the name Deuteronomy, compound name here, Deutero means second, Nami comes from namas, which means law. This is the second statement of God's law. This is the reiteration of God's Ten Commandments. Now, the first time that God spoke them, the first time he gave them to his people, Exodus 20, is at the beginning of their journey from Egypt to the Promised Land. But if you know the story, they got lost along the way. Because of their disobedience, they wandered for 40 years. This is now 40 years later. They finally made it to the edge of the promised land. And Moses says, okay, time to remind you of God's laws, God's commandments. This is the reiteration. But what I want you to see here in commandment number four, something's subtly different. The rationale for commandment number four in Deuteronomy 5 is a little bit different than it was for Exodus 20. See if you can pick up on it. I'm going to begin at verse 12 of Deuteronomy 5. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember, pay attention here, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Now again, what, what was the rationale for saying no to busyness, no to work, one day a week back in Exodus 20? You know, why, why are we su supposed to rest one day a week? Remember, it's because God rested. He spent six days creating the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in him, and then he took a day off for refreshment. But Moses doesn't give us the same reason for saying no to busyness or work one day a week in Deuteronomy 5. There's no mention in what I just read to you of God working six days and resting on the seventh. What rationale does Moses give the people in this passage for taking a break from work? Hint, it's in verse 15. He says, you were slaves in Egypt, but God brought you out of there. God delivered you, in other words. Don't keep acting like slaves. Don't keep acting like you got to work or else. You know, what's, what's the alternative to this? Depend on God. Friends, a lot, a lot of our busyness, if we were honest with ourselves, a lot of our busyness stems from the fact that we, we've convinced ourselves that we, we have got to make things happen or they're just not going to happen. And this sort of thinking makes slaves of us. Have you ever found yourself thinking along these lines? You know, if I don't accommodate my customers every whim, if I, I don't attend to them on the weekends, I'm going to lose his or her business to a competitor... 
Or if, if I don't make it to every one of my son's basketball games, he's going to feel unloved. I'm going to be a bad dad. You know, if I don't produce a green lawn, if I don't get out there and fertilize my, my neighbors are going to drive by shaking their heads. Yeah, how did he get on the, on the block, right? If I don't play tennis at least four times a week, my game's never going to get any better. Isn't it interesting we could even take our play and make it into work? Does everything always depend on you? Like the responsibility is always on, on your shoulders? Because that's a role God wants to play in your life. Taking a Sabbath day off is a reminder that God is in charge and you're not. You know, I love the anecdote that's told about Martin Luther in this regard. Luther was a great Christian leader back in the 16th century, one of the church's reformers. And he had a buddy named Melanchthon. And Melanchthon was all, all business all the time. He loved to engage Luther in theological and philosophical discussions and debates. And one day he announced to Martin, he said, Martin, he said, today you and I are going to discuss the governance of the universe. And Martin Luther looked at him and shook his head and said, no, Melanchthon, today you and I are going fishing. We're going to leave the governing of the universe to God. Taking a Sabbath day off is a good reminder that God is in charge and we are not. In fact, do you, do you know when the Sabbath day begins in Jewish reckoning? The Sabbath day begins on Friday evening and it ends 24 hours later on Saturday evening. Why is this so significant? Because the Sabbath day, the Jewish Sabbath day begins with everybody going to bed just after the evening meal. How much stuff can people get done while they're sleeping? Not a lot. But God's not sleeping. So while we're doing absolutely nothing other than snoring, God is keeping the universe running. And without our help, imagine that. See, we've we got to stop, stop telling ourselves, I can't take a break from my busyness. I can't take a break from my job. I can't take a break from my responsibilities, from my household chores, from my kids' activities. You know, they, they won't let me. That is slave talk. That's slave talk. We've been delivered from slavery by a God who desires to meet our every need if we'll depend upon him. You know, Lynn Babb has written a wonderful little book called Sabbath Keeping. Sabbath keeping. In this book, she not only uh, researches what the Bible says about the Sabbath, does a quick survey, but she goes out and takes surveys of people who are keeping the Sabbath and, you know, to learn what they've learned. What are their creative ideas for keeping the Sabbath? So one guy she interviews is named Wayne. He's in his mid-30s and he runs an ad agency. And he says one of the things that he's learned is that God honors our obedience. He says when in faith... When in faith I decide not to work, even though all my data tells me that a few hours spent on Sunday will save time later on, God makes things happen. Okay, when I step back and I do what God says, I take a break and I trust God, God makes things happen. Probably thousands of small, hardly noticeable things so that I come out ahead. Wayne then goes on to say, he says, it's kind of like tithing. Now, most of you know what tithing is. Tithing is, you know, the, the, the biblical principle is that God gets the first 10% of every paycheck. We give it right, we put it in the offering bag to God's work. And some people balk at doing this and they say, well, if I give away that 10%, how am I going to pay my bills? 
And the tither says, you know what? I trust God to cover my needs. I trust God to give me enough, you know, stretch it to pay my bills. And people I talk to who've become tithers will tell you God's never let them down. In, in fact, we only cheat ourselves when we keep 100% of it for ourselves because then we're left on our own to make things stretch. I'd rather trust God to stretch the 90% that's left. Wayne says, you do the same thing with your time. You do it with your Sabbath. You say, if I give this day up, how am I going to get everything done that needs to get done? And Wayne says, you depend on God. You tithe the time. You make a special day for God, and you trust him to help you get the rest of the stuff done. Fourth. It's a day for mercy. The Sabbath is a day for mercy. One final Sabbath passage. This one from the New Testament, Matthew 12. Matthew 12. Turn to the first book of the New Testament. If you've ever read any of the gospel accounts of Jesus' life and ministry, you know he was always getting in trouble with the religious leaders of the day, right? Always locking horns with them because they had a whole list of rules of things you needed to do and not do, and Jesus sometimes blew right past the rules especially with regard to the Sabbath day. Okay, six times in the Gospels you'll read of a confrontation between Jesus and the religious leaders and the contention was over the Sabbath. Jesus had done something on the Sabbath day they thought you weren't supposed to do. Five of the six times it's because he healed somebody on the Sabbath and they were up in arms about that. You say, wait a second, you can't heal people on the Sabbath day? That's what Jesus objected to, their reasoning. Listen to this. Matthew 12, verse 9, getting up from, on from that place, Jesus went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? See, they knew it wasn't. Broke the rules. And Jesus said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then Jesus turned to the guy with the shriveled hand, and he healed him. See, Jesus says that the Sabbath is a day for doing good. It's a day for showing kindness, a day for showing mercy to people who need it. You know, th this doesn't break God's law about not doing any work. If we'll recall that this is a day for worship, a day for focusing on God, and if we know that God cares about desperately needy people, then we turn our attention to caring for those, those people, and we could be sure that our focus is on God, and it becomes, as it were, worship on our part. Yes, God wants us to rest one day a week, but it's not to be a selfish sort of rest. It's not to be a selfish sort of rest. It's a day for mercy. You say, well, what does that look like? Well, m maybe you show mercy by caring for babies in the church nursery on the Sabbath. And you're not only showing nurse, uh, mercy to these little ones that you're rocking and loving on, you're showing mercy to their moms and dads who are desperate for a break and to sit in a service unencumbered by their little one. That's showing mercy. Or maybe it's going to a nursing home visiting a shut-in. Maybe it's going to the, the hospital. You know, hospital visitation is like a lost art. When was the last time you visited a neighbor, a co-worker, somebody, you know, uh, 
who's a good friend of yours and you heard they're in the hospital and you went for a visit. Or showing mercy on a Sabbath, maybe picking up the phone and calling a friend you know is going through a tough time and saying, hey, meet you at Starbucks 15 minutes. And you just act as a listening post, as a sounding board. The Sabbath is a, is a day of, of mercy. Just because we go to church on the Sabbath doesn't mean that it's cool with God that we then spend the rest of the day watching football game after football game or shopping store after store after store. Now, some of that stuff's fine. I'm not saying you can't do any of that on the Sabbath. What, I, what I'm saying is make sure you plan time for mercy as well. In fact, what if? What if this was a takeaway from today's sermon? What if we determined to never let a Sabbath go by without one act of mercy on our part? Wouldn't that be cool? If you're, you're wondering how to do it, I'll give you a great idea. Once a month, that'll work. Won't work every week, but once a month, we actually as a church set aside half a day, three and three quarters hours for showing mercy. It's called Second Saturday. You show up at the campus, any one of our four campuses, at 8.15. We send you out with a team of people to show mercy, to do good deeds for desperate people, destitute people. And then you come back and you're back by lunchtime. What if you did that second Saturday and then you went to a 5 o'clock Saturday night service or a Sunday morning service the next day? What a one-two punch. You made this a time of mercy and a time of worship both. In just a moment, we're going to celebrate communion together. And you know, it's, it's fitting that we do communion at the end of this message. Because the writer of Hebrews says, if, if you want to know where deep rest comes from, it's, it's not just taking one day a week off and be, being free of work. Deep soul rest comes from putting your hope and your trust in Jesus. True rest comes from the realization that I can't earn God's favor. You know, I've been trying to do enough good deeds to offset my bad deeds, hoping that God would approve of me one day, and all of a sudden it dawns on me, that's not the way the system works. Jesus came to give his life on the cross, something we celebrate when we do communion, to pay the penalty our, our sins deserve so he could offer us forgiveness. A relationship with God is a gift. It's, it's soul rest. So that's what we're going to celebrate in just a moment. But as I wrap up this, this sermon... Let me bring it down to real practical measures here, okay? So if you want to make this a day of refreshment and a day of worship, a day of dependence, a day of mercy, how do you begin to do this? Let me talk for just a moment about the, uh, about the when and the what and the who of this. You know, the when. When do you do this? Hey, for some of you who want to come on a Saturday night to our services, maybe your Sabbath begins at 5 p.m. on Saturday when you attend the service and it runs 24 hours to... Sunday, 5 p.m. But, but don't come on Saturday because you want to get the God thing out of the way and do as you please on Sunday. There's still a 24-hour period. God wants you to do and not do some stuff, all right? Or maybe Sunday becomes that day for you when you put this into practice. Or maybe you have to work one weekend out of four or a couple weekends a, a, a month, and you make another day of the week your Sabbath. I'll confess to you, Sunday is an exhausting day for me. The first half of my day doesn't feel like a day of refreshment. I come home and Sue says, the great communicator can't put two sentences together, you know? And it's true, I'm just dead. So I've got to take another part of another day and make it Sabbath refreshment time. So you may need to do that as well. So decide on a when. Secondly, the what. 
You know, what is it you got to stop doing? What's, what's way over the top these days for you? What's way out of moderation? You're doing too much of, and it's not giving you the Sabbath that you need. And conversely, what do you need to add to your day? What are the things we've talked about in this sermon from God's Word that ought to be part of a Sabbath day that aren't part of your Sabbath day yet? So you do the when, you do the what, and then the who. What I mean by that is whatever you decide to do in this regard, you know, you, you got to talk it through with other family members. You can't just impose it, say, you know, we're now declaring the Sabbath is such and such. You, you know, work out what works for you and then, you know, have a discussion with the rest of the family. What are we going to do about this? But you, you want people to own it. You want to bring them on board. You, you don't want to enforce this as the new family rule. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me right now. And we're going to pray. And then when I'm done praying, the campus pastors at all four campuses are going to describe our communion time. And we're going to conclude our service. We're going to launch 2014, the time of focusing on Jesus and what he's done for us. Pray with me. Lord, I just thank you for the practicality of your word. But even more, it just strikes me, God, how much you care for me. How much you care for these people who've been listening to me. So much so that you don't want us wearing ourselves out. You don't want us burning out. You don't want us doing foolish things, stupid things, because we can't see straight. We're so exhausted. You want our lives to be full, to be fruitful. You, you want us to go through our week with a sense of your presence. Thank you for giving us the Sabbath. It truly is not just a commandment, but a gift. And as we turn to communion now, as we take the bread and the cup, I pray that you'd help us to savor this time, to linger here, to not feel like we got to rush through it, get on our way, but, but to truly savor what Christ has done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.